0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of High Low with Emrata. This is the solo episode Emrata Asks, where I pose a question, we investigate. I'm excited about this one today. If you didn't listen to this week's episode with Iggy Azalea, please do. I really love that episode. We get into commodification of body and taking back control even through cosmetic surgery. She talks about starting her OnlyFans and I'm excited to do an episode where I incorporate a lot of people who have used OnlyFans or sex workers in general. So if you'd like to join that conversation, I think the episode will be next week. Go to hilo.fm and submit your audio voice note. I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you on that. I saw something online that I would not normally respond to. I'm hesitant to talk about this today because I don't want everyone to think that I pay attention to everything I'm tagged in and I don't, but I will say now that I have the podcast, I definitely want to interact with all of you a lot more. So I am. And I read comments, and I did before, but now it feels a little bit more intentional. And I saw some tweet by a guy who doesn't have a large following, and I haven't even looked him up because I don't want to give him the time of day, but it was a picture of me, and he said something along the lines of, MRADA is the definition of mid." And she's the most overhyped woman in the world right now. And I got tagged in all these responses to it where people were calling him out for the way he looks. But then the thing that really got me going was how many people responded being like, oh, nice way for you to get attention. This is a really great tweet to get your Twitter popping again and to show you're back on Twitter. Again, I don't know who this person is. I'm assuming it's someone who has a lot of hot takes essentially. And that started to get me thinking about – what I wanted to talk about for this episode, not about whether or not I'm hot, <laughs> I don't care, but about hot take culture and the way that we approach getting attention and getting interactions and even how maybe hot takes aren't always just about being deliberately provocative to get attention, but also how it can be a way of establishing an identity and feeling good about yourself and building out this sort of curated persona that exists online. I want to be clear here. I do this all the time. This is what I built my career off of, right? In the early days of Instagram, I was good at putting out a version of myself online. I think now, because there are so many different mediums, and particularly with video and TikTok, it sort of marries these things together. You can have a hot take while you also look fly. And it becomes this super Mario version of yourself that can feel a way to connect you to other people, potentially give you 15 minutes of fame or longer, a way to make money, and also feel good about yourself and who you are in the world. Hot take, just in case you are not aware It's a piece of commentary typically produced quickly in response to a recent event. The primary purpose of a hot take is to attract attention. That's the definition of hot take. Salon's Simon Malloy defines it as deliberately provocative commentary that is based almost entirely on shallow moralizing. I'm not sure if I completely agree with that, but I think it's interesting to have both. So let's be clear. I think the primary purpose is often to attract attention. A hot take is a perfect product in the attention economy, right? You post something about your opinion on whatever happened last week or this article that some celebrity said X, Y, or Z, and you're hoping that your hot take will be the freshest. And it makes sense. Hot takes are cheap to produce, they are easy to find, they're addictive, and they're ultimately bad for us. They're not only bad for the culture of nuance and thought, but also for the individuals who continually try to manufacture them as quickly as possible. I think it's also the nature of the internet, right? There's only so much time we can dedicate to consuming media. You could spend your entire life on the internet and still not have read it back to front. So our attention is limited, of course, and the publications and content creators know that. So they're trying to make quick, easy things we can consume on TikTok, on Twitter, and then go about our merry way. So today I'm asking the question, are hot takes making you stupid? And more than anything, we're also talking about why they're making you stupid and understanding the attention economy, how building an identity, curating a persona online extends much more than just your visual self now. It's about your belief system and who you are and how so much nuance is lost in the clickbaity world of hot takes and the internet. Also, the attention economy, the more clicks you get, the more views, the more interactions, the more likes, the more likely you are to make money. So let's talk about it. What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. There are two central reasons we become so addicted to hot take culture. Most obviously, it's because of the internet and how it functions. What I've already talked about a little bit, clickbait. Headlines, but also just grabbing someone with a controversial line, how that has impacted us. But I also think it provides something for us identity-wise. And that is what some of the definitions that I started the episode off with miss. I think we all know that gratifying, validating feeling that can come with a hot take that slaps. You make people think or you make them laugh or it just surprises them. And for me, this is I'm imagining myself around a dinner table and you're maybe doing a little sparring, a little speech and debate with people you're having dinner with and you say something and everyone cocks their head and looks at you and it feels really good because you feel not only that you've said something maybe interesting, but maybe it's also reframing the way that they are thinking about you and your identity because you are out of the box in some way, Right. And we actually talked about this with Andrea Long, Chu because it's something that she has based a lot of her criticism around, which is the idea that we build our identities not just by how we present ourselves visually on the Internet, but also by the beliefs and politics we hold. There is a article I'm going to be referencing in this episode. It's from a couple years ago and it doesn't factor TikTok in, so it's interesting to read it now. It's from QZ.com, How Hot Takes Drowned Out Journalism and Ruin Our Facebook Feeds by John West. He says, so many hot takes, so little time. It is true. And one thing he said is we post articles to tell other people who we are and what we care about. Our identities become about the beliefs we hold. And sometimes we hold those beliefs just because of what they might say about our identity, which is pretty scary, but I do think it's ultimately really true. And online, this is particularly heightened because we perform who we are or who we want to be with the content we produce. So we curate this Super Mario that isn't just about how we look, but also about where we stand on things. I'm going to play a clip from Rain Fisher Kwan, the internet princess. One of her TikToks popped up on my feed of her reading from this substack. She has a really great substack. I highly recommend it. I am now a subscriber. She has a piece that does a really good job explaining this. Let me play a tiny piece of that. It's become very common for women online to express their identities through an artfully curated list of the things they consume or aspire to consume. And because young women are conditioned to believe that their identities are defined almost entirely by their neuroses, these roundups of cultural trends and authors de jour often implicitly serve to chicly signal one's mental illnesses to the public. One girl on your TikTok feed might be a self-described Joan Didion, Eve Babbitts, Marlboro Red, straight-cut Levi's, flea bag girl. This means she has depression. Another will call herself a baby doll dress, Sylvia Plath, Red Scare, Mew Mew, Lana Del Rey girl, eating disorder, or a green juice, claw clip, Emma Chamberlain, yoga mat podcast girl, different eating disorder. The aesthetics of consumption have in turn become a conduit to make the self more easily consumable. Your existence as a type of girl has almost nothing to do with whether you actually read Joan Didion or wear Mew Mew and everything to do with whether you want to be seen as the type of person who would. I think that what is really interesting about what she's saying is that it's not even that you necessarily like Joan Didion because you enjoy Joan Didion, it's because you want to signal something to the world about what kind of person you are. That's the beginning of her subsec piece on this. But what I really like about it is where she goes next, which is going to lead me to my second point about capitalism and the attention economy, and really just how we have ourselves commodified our identity through hot takes, essentially. She's reminded of the chip aisle when she scrolls through TikTok. This is what she says. In almost any store aisle anywhere, capitalism has incentivized the production of infinitely many identical products competing in the same category, each asserting their uniqueness with meaningless window dressing, new look, part of a new healthy lifestyle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. While capitalism touts itself as an ideology of innovation, in reality, it's often much more like the ideology of reproduction. Most corporations aim only to differentiate themselves just enough within a predetermined, consumer-tested niche so that their Bullshit product stands out on a shelf next to 500 other different colored bullshit products that exist to do the same thing. So that's what she's saying we are doing, right? In these contexts, aesthetic individuality isn't a virtue, it's a bare necessity of capitalist production. We have to find ways to try to differentiate ourselves and become less identical because there's more products, then, which is scary to think about. So on social media, if you're thinking about people as the products, we are encouraged to become a kind of object, right? This is the mode of individuality that thrives in the current online ecosystem, one that prioritizes cultivating just enough uniqueness to be a viable product amongst each other in your niche. We as products in an attention economy advertising ourselves via photo dumps and day in the life videos, and I'm asserting hot takes, Also, feel the need to differentiate ourselves from the competition through micro labels or trend hopping. And this is what, again, she comes back to. She says, which I think is basically what John West is saying, she says it in a similar way. The process of making a video can be like shooting an advertisement for an idealized you. And hot takes really help with that. This is nothing new. We know that. Everyone is essentially competing for as many likes or listens or downloads in general as possible. And in this article from John West, he's talking about publishers in particular. And he's like, listen, they can produce a hot take on the outrage du jour, which comes with basically very little effort, zero reporting, just as easily as they can produce a piece on 20 times that Harry Potter made us hangry. Plus, if the take is not hot enough, which is to say counterintuitive enough, shallow enough, moralizing enough, it can yield far greater dividends, aka page views, than your average list goals. Publishing companies, the media at large, they're encouraged to push this clickbait kind of stuff because the more people read stuff, then you're more likely to have advertisers or if you're an individual on TikTok or Twitter, clout which then can also lead to a monetization of your identity, whether it be through a podcast, yes, I'm aware of this, (laughs) or paid advertisements or whatever else. I just want to be clear here that in the QZ article, there is a little bit of a tone of kind of anti-PC culture, which by the way, he does clarify. I don't think this is about anti-PC culture. I think that there are Beautiful ways that the internet has held people accountable. For example, Me Too, obvious example. Black Lives Matter is another great example. But we've talked a little bit about the lack of nuance in previous episodes, right? I did the episode about being caught on camera without your consent. This one, I just want to talk about how little nuance is often in these quote unquote hot takes that are just deliberately controversial. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stay tuned for more high low with Emrada. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. I'm going to use this another article that came out in the New Yorker a couple years ago. It's called On the Internet, We're Always Famous. This is from 2021. It's by Chris Hayes, but it is sort of about the Andy Warhol 15 minutes of fame. Everyone will be famous in the future. The subtitle to this is What Happens When the Experience of Celebrity Becomes Universal? This is obviously post-Trump, but it's pre-TikTok hot takes, which I'm inundated with every day because I love to look at TikTok. I'm not really a Twitter girl as much, although partly why I don't like Twitter is because of hot take culture. Weirdly, I think seeing people deliver their hot takes, seeing their faces and the video component, it's more appealing to me. So What's really interesting about this New Yorker article and what Chris Hayes is getting into is the history in America pre-internet of this kind of culture. In Amusing Ourselves to Death from 1985, Neil Postman argues that for the first 150 years, the U.S. was a culture of readers and writers and that the print medium structured not only public discourse but also modes of thought and the institutions of democracy itself. According to Postman, he says TV destroyed all of that. It replaced written culture with a culture of images that was, in a very literal sense, meaningless. This is a quote from Postman. Americans no longer talk to each other. They entertain each other, he writes. They do not exchange ideas. They exchange images. They do not argue with propositions. They argue with good looks, celebrities, and commercials. I mean, damn. This was written in 1985 about TV. Think about how this applies to TikTok. I do find it really interesting that the most kind of interesting looking people, whether there's something specific about them or they're particularly good looking, those are the ones that I'm more likely to hesitate on their video and hear what they have to say. Therein lies the first way that we can identify how shallow hot takes really are is that it's not about nuance. It's not about being the smartest person in the room and having the most interesting perspective. It's literally like what grabs my attention in that moment and I'm including myself in that, right? That's how I consume media. So I think that's really interesting for me too because when I am doing the podcast, I strive for nuance and it's not always as easy as capturing nuance with writing. And that's why I loved writing the book and why I continue to plan to write essays because it's much harder to to take something clickbaity out of it. I like the analogy by John West that he builds that hot takes are like junk food. So it needs to be like really easy to consume in this this New Yorker piece. He's talking about George Saunders, who wrote a piece which is really interesting about the concept of a megaphone. And if a stupid person has the megaphone, it essentially makes everyone around them stupider. And the discourse gets Worse and worse. So here's what Saunders said, and this is pre-Trump, which I think is amazing. Let's say he hasn't carefully considered the things he's saying. He's basically just blurting things out. And even with the megaphone, he has to shout a little bit to be heard, which limits the complexity of what he has to say. Because he feels he has to be entertaining, he jumps from topic to topic, favoring the conceptual. You are just appealing to what's gonna grab people's attention the most. It's almost like screaming fire in a room full of people, right, which is why hot takes can be dangerous as well. So now everyone essentially has a megaphone, right? And we're all shouting really quick little snippets of languages, phrases, slogans. He says, an endless hall of mirrors. And it becomes really disorienting, essentially. Becomes hard to even formulate your own thoughts and beliefs because you might even be thinking about whether or not you're on the right side of history or what it says about you based on what you're believing. So back to that New Yorker piece, this is something he says at the end. A clever TikTok video can end up with 40 million views. With the possibility of this level of exposure so proximate, it's not surprising that poll after poll over the past decade indicates that fame is increasingly a prime objective of people 25 and younger. Fame itself in the older, more enduring sense of the term is still elusive, but the possibility of a brush with it functions as a kind of pyramid scheme. Even 10 years ago, we would think about visual culture and potentially takes on Twitter, but I think now we've married the two. So the way that you cultivate an identity online has to do with every single thing you do say, where, what your tastes are, what your opinions are, and that's not good for nuanced, revolutionary thinking. What I love about the concept of the internet is that you're constantly in dialogue with people and you have this opportunity to evolve ideas and thinking in a really quick way because you have so many resources and so many people giving input. You would think that you would come up with the smartest take or the best outcome or that politics would get into a more interesting place. But weirdly, it's actually had the opposite effect, which I think is quite scary. I don't necessarily think this is just because of the nature of the internet. I think we can correct this, which maybe is optimistic, but this is a quote from the John West piece that I recommend everyone go read all of these articles. But he makes a point that I really agree with, which he says, saying the internet is awful because people are awful is a lot like saying guns don't kill people, people kill people. It's superficially true and completely misses the point. The fact is that Americans kill people, including themselves, at staggering rates because we've made it easy to get guns. Similarly, the internet can feel like an awful place, not simply because we're awful people, but because we have also designed the internet to be garbage fire. (laughs) which I think goes back to the economy and the the way capitalism has found its way onto the internet and how we now have commodified our identities and ourselves and our opinions and our politics back to Rain, Fisher, Kwan's idea of the chip aisle. It's not necessarily that the internet is bad or that people are bad and don't have good opinions. It's that the market of the internet has impacted the way we utilize the internet and think. This summer, I started posting a lot of TikToks. I was sort of revving up for the podcast, and I was getting more comfortable with using TikTok, and I was posting more and more hot takes. I started with one about being scared of men's comeback season, quote unquote, of Harvey Weinstein and Shia LaBeouf and everything that was going on with the Amber Heard trial. And it was really controversial and a lot of people watched it. And I was like, huh, that that fed my ego in the way that we were just talking about. And then I started giving more hot takes. I talked about the cheating scandal with a certain musician. And that got a ton of controversial feedback, but a lot of likes. And I will say that personally impacted me or when I talked about the movie Blonde. I hadn't seen it when I made that TikTok about fetishizing female pain. And listen, I want to be clear. There is a part of me, which I think is true for a lot of people who are making content that feel like hot takes. You do believe these things. You're not being disingenuous. But I have backed off from making those kinds of TikToks because I think I'm seeing how often even in myself, but also with other people, you end up just starting to make a bunch of content about little things that you don't even necessarily feel passionate about or believe or that really do a good job offering an idea. So I backed off from that. I'm not saying that's the answer. I don't think that's how we should stop using the internet. And I will say for me, it's a little bit different because... I would say that a lot of the advertisers that hire me don't necessarily want me to talk about controversial things. But if you get more views and likes, they don't really care what you say, right? Because they're just like, oh, her engagement's wild. So it's really tricky. That's where I'm at right now. I just haven't been putting out as many of those things. Even this episode today, I was like, oh, I'm going to do an episode, a hot take episode on hot takes. (laughs) And was like, yeah. But- that's where I'm struggling with this. And I want things to feel nuanced and I want them to feel more like a conversation. And I don't know how to utilize the internet without kind of Commodifying yourself. Even I think that sort of unpolished aesthetic that Gen Z has really leaned into, where you do a photo dump where it looks like you just like nonchalantly took a bunch of pictures and posted them, posting videos that feel really unproduced, where you have no makeup on and you're sitting in bed or whatever. Those often are extremely produced. They're intentional. They're meant to feel more accessible, but they're also making a statement, right? Kind of anything you do is signaling because you're producing content and you're posting it. So I'd love to hear from all of you about this. I'm really excited to get your opinions on hot takes and how you think we can shift this, because as much as I do believe that this isn't an impossible problem to solve, I can kind of identify the thing that's poisoning all of it. It's a really big thing. And I'm curious what we can do as individuals, if there is anything we can do to be more responsible and create better and more nuanced and interesting discourse through these tools we have like TikTok and Twitter. Okay, next week, I am back on Tuesday with a guest. We have Jonathan Van Ness, JVN of Queer Eye Fame amazing writer, amazing person. We had so much fun. I'm really looking forward to you all hearing that conversation. And then on Thursday, we're gonna be doing the OnlyFans episode that I mentioned at the top of this one. So I'm really hoping um, to hear from all of you about your experiences with OnlyFans and honestly sex work in general, but in particular OnlyFans. So thank you for listening and please join the conversation again by going to hilo.fm. Thanks so much. High Low with M. Rada is a Sony Music Entertainment, Bitch Era Media, and Something Else production produced by Chelsea Jacobson. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, and Sarita Wesley. Our senior producer is Medina Parwana, and our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh. Thanks for listening.